Welcome to the Working Writer Podcast with Tia Levings. Today's episode is on screenwriting and storytelling with Alicia Ripley. I am so excited to share Alicia with you. She is the talented Miss Ripley on Instagram. And that's where we originally connected um, over PR, blogging, storytelling, and She's one of those people that as you get to know her, it's like a new layer and a new layer and a new layer. She's a Rubik's Cube. She's fantastic. Um, This conversation, I could have gone longer. I did it. I recorded it on a day back in the winter when um, I had a bunch of interviews stacked. And so I actually had to stick to the clock. And it was kind of sorry because we were were just going on such a good roll. We cover um, writing contests. She's got tons of screenwriting tips and like real world experience, the time it takes to mature a career. Um, we talk a lot about working writer work ethic and how much work it takes to actually make a go at this. She has a really unique background and story that I'm not going to spoil for you, but um, luck obviously plays a role. Um, let's see. I in this, it's it was kind of cool editing this. It's um, today is September 2021. I recorded this back in December of 2020. And in that time, the world's gone through a lot of changes. She and I have both gone through a lot of changes. Um, She has actually already filmed and directed her first movie and is at work on her second. Um, She has a Patreon. She's fundraising for the production costs of the second film. Um, It was just really cool to see the contrast in that amount of time, how much work she's gotten done. And... um, Little things like I'm not doing those ebooks for every episode anymore, and I haven't rolled them out on the schedule that I was planning, but I took a full-time gig. And so this is a little time capsule because life was different back when I recorded it. Um, super proud of Alicia and can't wait to see. I love supporting her work. I cannot wait to see her movie, Watercolors. Um, the next one she's got going, it's like a murder thriller, maybe comedy about a wedding. Um, you'd have to check it out on her Instagram profile to, to get more information. Uh, let's see here. Oh, and a couple times she flips the script and interviews me. So there's stuff in here about my book and my projects. Um, I learned a lot through this conversation, and I know that you will too. So no more chit-chat at the beginning. I'm just going to get into it. This is cool. Thank you for saying yes to it. And um... Oh, I'm excited. I was really excited. I love your Instagram. I'm so, you know, I tell people all the time, I complain about the internet at times, or I should say I complain about cell phones mm-hmm. more specifically, because I don't know about everyone, but I feel half the time, like, like I'm tied to it. Um, and like my mom, who's obviously much older, she will just leave hers like in another room for hours and don't even think about it. And with me, especially with working from home and someone who always, unless I'm filming or unless I'm doing an event or something, I'm always home. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just feel like these phones, it's like people, you feel like you have to text people back immediately or life will end. Mm-hmm. And I'm old enough where I remember when that was not the case. Right. Like, I, I was a nineties. I was, I graduated high school in 1996. And I think one girl in the school had a cell phone because her father dealt with cell phones and it looked like a, a massive the thing. Big brick. And, the big yeah, antenna. <laughs> That's exactly. And like, if you needed, if there was a line at the pay phone or if you needed to call home for something, she'd let you use this phone. And the idea now that we have them um, 
and and I feel sometimes like I can't on like disconnect that can be mentally stressful but I love it for um ironically connecting to people that I didn't know like Mm -hmm. I've made quality friends on Instagram which people don't really understand if they don't use it but I said you I've met so many lovely like ladies in my field or um, an adjacent field. And and pre-COVID, I was able to meet up with some of these people in Toronto. It's wonderful. And it is it is really funny how you can connect to people who are like-minded, who are in the same industry, or are just great people, men or women, but I've met a lot of women that I would have loved to have been friends with, but I would never have known mm-hmm. except for Instagram because you're not in the same place exactly. um, or you don't work in the same place. So yeah, this was so, uh, so, so great. So I love to follow what you're doing and thanks for having me on. Um, I tried to think in my head, like to prepare things, but I was just like, we'll just flow. It'll be like a conversation. I know I should probably send like a list of questions or something, but I'm like, I just want to talk. I just want to talk shop. And you know, that's the kind of thing I'm the same feeling about Instagram. It's like, there's genuine engagement there and Mm -hmm. my world is bigger. I can't imagine getting through 2020 without it. Um, I I don't like feeling, um, I'm same way with my phone. I would love to leave the room and, um, walk away from it. And, or these people that say they're leaving social media. And I'm like, that's my only social life right now. I wouldn't. (laughs) I know. I know. No, it is. It's so nice because even when things were shut down, I could still talk to everybody like on here. And it was also creative too, because for me and so much of the writing that like I do, I've always been a little strange I've always known what exactly what I wanted to do which was writing film and tv writing books storytelling and I wanted to be in front of the camera behind the camera how however this could work out um because the industry is very difficult to predict but one of the things that was hard for me was I was both I was both very visual and I was both and very verbal and into the language so combining that and finding a way to do that took time. And honestly, it, it took me exceptionally long. I, I started, I was published at 15 um, in a very freak chain of events that was a contest. And I usually, you know, I just wrote for a, a guest blog on this. I try to tell people when it comes to contests, don't get overly invested in the concept of winning them because there's, a, there's an even more influential outcome that can come from a contest because what happens with these contests most of the time there's like 20 restrictions so they'll give you prompts they give you all (laughs) these things it's usually not like free flow like send us something you wrote um you also find out about these contests at different times like i submitted to something recently and i won something i won like 50 dollars. it's great um but uh there was like i learned about it two weeks in advance maybe not even and it was they gave you like 50 paragraphs that including dialogue so it ended up being very restrictive and you had to tell this whole story um and there were a bunch of winners which was nice but they've all these restrictions and on top of it they're getting thousands of applicants so when i hear writers like i've been doing this a long time literally i like that your title is the working writer because i've literally been a working writer my whole life i never had any other job besides acting so everything was entertainment based i can honestly say with these contests people and writers tend to be kind of insecure anyway Um, So these can be a bad thing because people put all this energy into sending in to something they might've just heard about two days before, 
And then when they don't win something, it's like they feel it wasn't good enough. And I, and I, so I went on this guest blog and I was talking about the best way to think about contests is not about, am I going to win a financial prize? Cause usually it tops out at like a thousand dollars, which is great, but it's not like you're going to win like a lifetime, you know, mm-hmm. subscription here. Right. I, the best thing I think comes from them is they give you a deadline. So especially for people that have a little bit harder of a time focusing or getting something finished, if they see the deadline is in two weeks, they work and then they have a piece. They can send it in. Maybe they win, maybe they don't. But the best part of it is now you have a really good piece and you can keep finessing it because what ends up happening is it's like work begets work. You start sending in and all of a sudden now someone will contact you. Hey, do you have something in the vein of A, B, and C? Well, yeah, I do because I sent in for that contest. So the contest itself, I tell writers, don't get hung up on, on winning. Get hung up on the fact that now you have self-imposed deadlines and you're going to keep completing work. So that that's always been important to me because I've, I've worked for such a long time, but I started out winning this very unusual contest that an English teacher had sent in on my behalf. And the reason I think I won was you were supposed to be 18. I was 15 and they had written a letter on my behalf saying she's old for her age, please consider it. And for some reason it won and it won like a byline. So from that point on how I started was that English teacher, again, I'm dating myself, but that's fine. Um, (laughs) I, you know, it's like people (laughs) need information and they need to understand the context of when you grew up because things are very different. It matters. It really it's, oh, very, yeah, very yeah, much, completely. very yeah. much matters. You know, so I grew up in the time frame of the 90s. So I graduated in 96. I won that contest in 94. And we had a couple teachers. I went to a very progressive high school. It was all girls. A couple of these teachers were writers in their own right and, and sort of notable personalities, or they were married to notable personalities. So they had some pull. And when they sent this thing in and I won they knew how serious that I took this. I was one of those kids that always wanted to be a writer and an actor. So they felt that getting bylines would help because if I wanted to go to grad school, doing stuff young would help. So what ended up happening, this is kind of a weird way to success, but in the 90s, uh, magazines were, were paying for fiction. Like they were paying for stories. Um, I don't even, the amount of print magazines that are even like out now have decreased so, so much. But back in the day, men's magazines, believe it or not, the cheese, really the cheesier ones wanted fiction. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting in this English office with women that were like 70 years old and they would say, so um, there's this third rate penthouse and they want something in a crime vein, you know, do you think you could do that? So I said, yeah, of course. So I wasn't sitting there studying the magazines. I don't even know if I ever saw them, but they'd give me the prompt and they would paint me. So if you were 15, 16 and your friends are working at Dairy Queen and you're getting paid to create stories and they put them in these magazines. Um, I, so I literally never knew anything else. And I knew writing wasn't easy because it takes a certain mind and it took focus but at the same time I never saw it as like um, glamorous like some people do like Mm -hmm. some people are like oh you have a book yeah but it's 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 literal work and it's it's putting one foot in front of the other like really with anything else so my my way to this was in the 90s uh sending into to print magazines that really liked what I did it was very um it's also my work is not really 
girly in a lot of ways. It's very, uh, for a while when I would submit and I didn't have my name on it, people thought I was a male author um, or male writer. So because they tend to have a lot of action, they tend to um, be very kind of, I don't want to say plot heavy. They're, they're definitely character heavy, but plot meaning like there's a lot going on, like there's a hook. And that, mm. from what I hear, tends to be more male. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how I started. And I've been doing it a long, a long time. Um, then I went to grad school for it. So to me with, with Instagram, just bringing it back to that with the pandemic, you know, I can only work like, production is down. So any of the projects I was in one film that we were able to film and it was such a nightmare in terms of COVID. Like I'm thrilled to be in the movie, thrilled to have the part that I have, but the, the two times a week COVID tests and oh you know, my god <laughs> you know you just you feel very nervous being around people right. um so the industry now is slow and so Instagram gives me such a way to keep up my skills with like I take a lot of time with the captions mm-hmm. and I tell people that's a creative outlet for you as well because a lot of people notice that stuff the pictures and the caption together and that actually caught the eye of people that hired me to do client work like work for them or to take over their Instagram or try to grow some engagement. So I think that there's a lot to be said um, for that social media in particular, because you don't get, you're not pulled into the nonsense that Facebook has with like, who's screaming about something political or who's, you know, um, family drama that somebody has on there. Like it's so much more, you can find out more about what people are about and what they like. Yeah. So, yeah. So I like so it. That's exciting. I um I am like right there with you on contests. And it's so funny you said that because I I I have a um topic idea that I want to focus on contests, but I'm like, where am I gonna find another contest like a person passionate about it? And you just did it. So it's <laughs> really cool. It's they're you know, they're good. They're they really I are they're fun. It's just you have to do it staying a little bit like away because I've seen so many talented writers get so like defeated if they didn't win something and I said you know you got to go back like first of all always read especially if you want to apply to one of their contests later Mm -hmm. go back and read like the top two that won right because you will find out certain online magazines or journals have like kind of an agenda in terms of like what they want to promote. Um, and they're reading thousands of things, but like sometimes like not even trying to be mean, I'll go and read some of the first place ones. And I'm like, I've never been so bored in mm-hmm. my life. Like they're very boring. And like someone described a stuff. We're not going to name contest names, but, but I have one in mind as you're speaking. <laughs> You know, like we've all seen this and it's kind of like, you know, you described a chair for two pages. Okay. Um, but I was always taught, keep the the dialogue really snappy, keep it fresh, keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keep, keep going, have beautiful descriptions, but keep going. And sometimes I read these and I'm like, geez. So getting caught up in, I try to tell writers of any type, don't get caught up in this, um, this idea that I, I actually call it bride mentality, where mm. some women um, get caught up in, uh, rather than being really in love or really being a great fit or thinking down the road, are we always going to be good? They're caught up in the, I was picked. 
mentality. Like, like, yeah, he's, he's great, but like he picked me and now I have a ring and now I have all these pictures and that can lead to problems. And the same thing with writers, mm-hmm. you get, it's like, oh, I just, I want to be validated and I want to be picked. And it's like, you have to be so bullet tight as an art, as a writer that yourself um, worth is not mm-hmm. tied up in these contests. Um, same thing where when, you know, I'll write things with whether it's screenwriting or, or books, you have to be willing to get up there and be like, and really fight for what you need to stay in there and understand that not everyone you're working with is that smart. Sorry to say, right. they're just not. So you have to really, I think, keep a very tight vest of believing in yourself, believing in what you're doing mm-hmm. and not handing over your power. And I think that's where contests can can set a lot of really good writers completely astray. If you think of them like, yes, I finished oh, yeah. it. It's good. Send it, it in. That like, like you don't have thick skin. And I don't know, my, my whole MO in doing them in the first place was to break out of my ruts. I needed mm-hmm. um, uh, to shake it up a little bit, you know, and try other things. And um, I was really working on craft at the time. I was, when I first got started into it and I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Every single time I enter one, I can do something different. And so my whole, like, all I want out of it is the experience. I want to tighten my word count, work in those parameters. I've won a couple, but you know, I I'm also like, well, that's nice because it would, it's nice once extra money comes in always. Right. <laughs> However, I'm going to do it anyway, because right. I'm like, love them. My favorite one is, um, screen crafts, cinematic short story contest, and their judges give you feedback. So you're getting a read and you're getting like really detailed feedback That's on nice. what's wrong with your story. And I'm like, I will do that every year, every single year. And then, you know, if you don't win, you can reuse that piece in something else. It's not like it's wasting mm-hmm. time. Exactly. So it, it's that, that actually was the um, pivot point for me. I think a few years ago when I was like, I really, really want this. I wanted it, but I was afraid to say that out loud and like really do it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, contests help me just, I don't know, just, just tighten it all up and, and Oh yeah. It, it yeah. sounds like you're using it for the right, definitely the right reason. And it's great to get feedback on things for mm-hmm. sure. And that's so rare. Cause usually I don't hear anything from oh, yeah. um, these people. <laughs> now, how did you start writing? Have you always been a writer? Oh yeah. I think we've pretty much tracked on the same line so far. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Like I can't not write. I, I have always written Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's hard work and I like that it's hard work. Um, I think the only thing that really gets me down is when I like come against repeated gatekeepers and, um, you know, trying to break in and trying to get a foothold, but I'm, it's like the kind of thing I'm going to do anyway. And, yeah. and my whole passion has been like, okay, I have to turn a buck doing this because I literally am not happy unless I'm doing this. Um, so I do corporate gigs too, because that's nice stability, but, um, Mm -hmm. you write for them. Like you do writing for businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just spent a year, um, with one corporate company and it was fantastic. I mean, contracting is good money. Mm -hmm. Copywriting is good practice. It tightens up your craft no matter what you're doing. Um, but I really don't want another 40 hour a week gig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really, that's my, um, there's tension there. There's some definite inner conflict. Um, so, but anyway, this ended in, um, that contract ended in the beginning of November and I had this podcast idea in the background 
And I was like, well, you know, I'm probably not going to find another major gig at the end of the year on 2020. Everybody's waiting to like decide <laughs> yeah. what they're going to do. So I might as well pour everything into this. And so, yeah, I'm like, I'm recording, like, this isn't probably going to air till summer. And I'm like, just get everything recorded right now mm -hmm. um, and get it all. Cause there's a ton of work in podcasting. Oh my God. There is so much, um, peripheral yeah. writing that has to happen and I decided to do an ebook with every episode so oh great that's a lot of work <laughs> for each one but um it's also like my path to monetization I guess because I didn't mm -hmm. want to you can't even make them ad heavy even you know when you're starting it's yeah. it's not possible but um the book parallel gives me an opportunity to like go deeper into each topic address writers problems um, and then grow it like a different audience. There will be people mm -hmm. who only want that, that don't have time to listen to podcasts. So, you know, it's kind of a, yeah, my, my, um, what's the word? Um, <laughs> I almost lost my word. Like I have this, this, I cannot find my word. It's like a, it's an inner conviction of like my inner mission, make sure everything can do multitask basically like, yeah. Yeah. Repurposing and stuff is is the gist and I'm sure the word will pop into my head at <laughs> some later hour is it difficult to learn how to podcast like was that a journey in itself or is it uh so I was familiar behind the camera with the editing and everything I had done that for a client um and I had a job where I worked on the side like I knew I knew at least what the scope was in a previous mm. position. I had been involved in the scope of it. So the real hard part was I'm introverted and I'm doing this on video and audio. I definitely prefer the audio production, um, but why not double dip on YouTube? Like there's people that yeah. that's all they do. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to be doing yep. it, I might as well do it all. Um, yeah. So th that's just pretty much been the learning curve is you know, the same self-conscious stuff that everybody who's going to get in front of a camera and a microphone is going to have to face. Is yeah. The stuff. What was your, your background? Cause you're saying you did like editing and things for a client. What was your background to learn how to, to do all that stuff? So I come from makers and I didn't go to college. I had my babies really young. I come like, if you, you've seen me on Instagram, I mm -hmm. talk about fundamentalism and religious trauma for a reason, because yeah. I basically lived the handmaid's tale for 14 years. That's so, so crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> and I got myself out. Uh, what you doing with the scissors? That's the second oh, time I've seen that. <laughs> it's, I had a little tweeze. It's a little tweezer in my hand. Sometimes oh, like, like when I'm relaxed. <laughs> No, I sometimes relax. It sounds so crazy. I'm not actually tweezing anything, but I okay. just keep it there. You know how you have little things that like uh, some people chew gum. I just yeah. always like have it there, but you're right. It looks like, it, it looks, looks like, like you're like, I should have gonna... a pen. <laughs> That's your, your background actually is really, really interesting because you as a person, like, I think I learned that about you after we had become Instagram friends. And mm. I remember going, wow, like not what I was expecting. And people's experiences are so, um, they're so cool because they're so different. And I find that on there a lot because yeah. people, you know, people that you connect to and you have a lot of similarities, but then all of a sudden somebody will have something and it's like, wait a minute, let me read that three more times because mm -hmm. that's not what I, that's, that's not what I was picturing. And right. people are so interesting. 
um, that's why I was so excited to know, like, what is her work background? Like, how did she learn how to do all these different things? Um, thank God for the internet, basically, <laughs> is what happened. So um, it's all it's all very um, lucky, blessed, all the things that you can think of, a lot of resourcefulness and resilience mm. and perseverance and being willing to, like, turn it over and see how this works. Um, and then I can write. And I have found that if you can write and if you can tell a story, um, you will always have work. There will always be somebody who's listening. So mm -hmm. I've, I've learned to trust that. So when we moved, I was in my first marriage. I was in a very fundamentalist, close cult, lots of domestic violence, whole thing, world very small. We moved to an even more isolated place where I was completely cut off, except got the internet. And so <laughs> I discovered blogging and that was before Google's algorithm changes. This is when blogging was brand new. You could like do a lot. Mm -hmm. And through, um, because I can write, because I can tell stories, because I'm willing to be transparent. Um, I was getting 80,000 hits a day on my blog and that oh, wow. people were like, how are you doing that? And so then I was like, well, I can tell you how. And so then I became a consultant at the same time I was leaving all of that virus, that, oh. that violence. So um, it's then I was in the right place at the right time. And I ended up working for Tony Robbins in, in one of his companies. Like it was, it's, it's too crazy, crazy of a story, <laughs> which put me into marketing, which put me like, and then I've gone from marketing company to marketing company. And I've just yeah. learned how to do things and I can write. And I know I can write. So it's, that's how it happens. That's when you were saying you, you could teach people how to blog and get all the hits. Does a lot of that have to do with words that you use? Like, is that a keyword thing or was it about like what you were writing about? Well, it was a lifestyle blog about my kids. It was called living deliberately. Um, it was before we knew what kid, what keywords were. Um, and here's my, here was what my real, the twist was. I started reviewing Oprah's books. She had just come out with Oprah's book club. Oh, and I started okay. doing reviews of them. And I did a particular, the big thing that turned the key was I did a negative review of one of her titles and the keywords were in the title. And all of a sudden, boom, it was like waterfalls. It was crazy. Wow. Now that all went away when Google what was like 2008 panda came out the panda algorithm change came out everything like they stopped they really like hit blogs if you were doing too much linking mm -hmm. we started learning what black hat was all that stuff was like evolving as we went and I stepped out of that mm -hmm. arena because I was raising kids I've got five yeah. children so I was like you know I was raising kids I was recovering from all this trauma trying to find my feet lots happening and the world changed. And then, you know, social media took the place blogging and it's all evolved. Mm -hmm. and, and I stayed behind the scenes. And in those years, I really want to just now focus on my own writing. I finally wrote that memoir. I'm shopping it with agents now. It's called The American Burka. And it's That's not great. really timed well for 2020. Nobody wants to read <laughs> dark. <laughs> and it's dark. But it's also like the hinge project that unlocks the rest of my future for fiction and other memoirs and other things that I want to do and talk about beyond yeah. religious trauma because oh, nice. you can only do that to a point. Religious trauma gets uh <laughs> just gets heavy, you know, like I'm oh, yeah. and I wanna be um 
that's enough about me. <laughs> no, but you, you brought up a really important point in one comment that you said, which was sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. Because oh, yeah. um, I, I have lamented that so many times. I mean, I could tell you stories like, I have a memoir that's out, came out in 2018, I think. Um, my, my mother, I call it my stepfather, they weren't married. My mom was with who I call my stepdad for almost 30 years. We were very, very, very close. He's the only dad I really ever had. And he died very suddenly. And I had been book touring at the time for another book. So it was very stressful. It was very sudden. And um, the book is is written in letters to him. It's a very short book. And it's over the course of a year, one, like one or two letters a week. And it kind of shows the progression of grief. Um, like I was in fugue states, I'd go to the grocery store to get like two things and I'd be there for half an hour, like staring at something. Mm. And I didn't really think that this was gonna go anywhere I was writing it for myself but my publisher asked they happened to see it we were having an in-person just having in-person meetings is blowing my mind right now I'm like wow there was like 25 <laughs> people sitting around a table but they looked at my notebook and I told them about the project of what I was working on and they they thought it was really interesting and I said well who's going to want to read that and they said well first of all book clubs where there's a lot of discussion and engagement and people can relate grief therapy groups and that's exactly what happened um, but in that, in that memoir, when I talked to my stepfather in the letters, I had a real, you know, everyone kind of looks at me now and is like, wow, this girl's like taking off. And it's like, yeah, but it was like 20 years of seeds. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I was a weird person. I started very young with like, I was telling you about the, about the writing. So people knew my name and I, I was able to work, but there was a long period of time. Like, this is the kind of stuff that would happen to me. I was in New York City for seven years, went to graduate school for creative writing. So I had an, I'm an MFA. Then I went to the Lee Strasberg School for Acting because I wanted to combine them. I started writing plays. I was in some plays in New York, modeling, doing whatever I could do. Um, my first book came out in 2006. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you go to an MFA program, that's like, whoa, everyone's all excited. But the thing about books was everything with me was such an awkward time. And I've bemoaned it for a long time where finally I said, you know what? Um, I try to be spiritual in, in my way and, and say, everyone's time is everyone's time. And it is, mm -hmm. it happens the way it happens. And I had this book come out, but what, what was going on at that time in 2005, 2006 was it was the big change of Prior to that, everything was big publishers and everyone got their deal the same way. You wrote for magazines, you got your name out, you submitted something or you submitted queries or got an agent and, and it was always the same way. Well, all of a sudden, right when this book was going to come out, I remember somebody saying, this book is not going to happen because although it's got a great, exciting plot, the characters are really great everyone wants sex in the city stuff right now. Everybody wanted girls in Manhattan drinking and sleeping with different people. Um, and that was what was popular. People didn't think that they were going to want to read a book about like, it's a relationship, it's at a music magazine, but it goes back and forth in time. And it deals with nuclear physics, granted in a really fun way. 
because I have a minor in um, qualitative nuclear physics, which is oh fun. Which is so it's all like time travel and and black holes and all that stuff. So people thought that it was too thinky a book, but the thing is, is this book is very easy to read, and and I I thought it would you know been an immediate thing, but what happened was is the big publishers were starting to change because that's when Amazon was starting to have people publishing like self-publishing became this deal. Um, so then there were all these small publishers and indie publishers and, and the whole thing started to change. And I was like, well, great. You know, I didn't even know how to make that happen. How do I make this happen? I had been the mentor to a gentleman who uh, had worked at Rolling Stone where I was working and he had some ins and he connected me to some people at an indie publisher which was out of i believe vancouver at that time so it was a small publisher i loved it small because it was like six people working there super easy to get stuff done and then i left new york i booked tour and i booked toured for that book for a year and a half by the end of it i didn't even know my own name oh. i was young i was about 26 years old and i they didn't really set up the tour like they they suggested certain places. I came at it from a creative point of view because it was a music, a story with music journalism. So I booked tour it. I set them up at record stores and it, it did very well, but you have to have that kind of personality where I would go into like bars in, you know, like Virginia and say, Hey, you're having country Western acts. Can I introduce them and write their bio and then have a table? Oh yeah, sure. So I was doing all this crazy stuff. Um, and that book, people still come up to me now and know, I mean, that's like four books ago and people still say, oh, you're the traveling with an eggplant girl. And I really love that story. I love that title so much. Oh, <laughs> it's, and it has its own emoji, you know, people send right. eggplants all the time, but it's, it's, it was a weird situation because, um, it's so hard with the big publishers. And so I didn't go that route. Cause I remember I had a meeting and they were basically going to offer me almost nothing. You know, you really had to have someone with you that was a lawyer that knew what this meant. And I wanted to be a, a screenwriter and I wanted to act and I wanted to bring my work to the screen. And I knew that only certain publishers allow you to do that yourself. If they own the copyright, you got to be very particular on what exactly they own and, and what they own in terms of your intellectual property, because you'd be shocked. There's some people that you know, it's like someone wants to make a deal with you. Great, go do it. Then there's other ones where it's like, well, no, we own, we own this, we own that, we own this. And I didn't want to get into that bubble. So the indie publisher handled everything like a traditional one would, but it gave me a lot more flexibility. Well, what happened though with them was I, I left New York, I booked toured, I moved to Hawaii in Los Angeles. So I was in Hawaii for over a year I was writing out there um acting out there and then in 2011 um right when I was in Los Angeles my set my other new book came out which was a planned trilogy so it was book one of that and right before that was going to happen I got a phone call from the publisher and they had been purchased so this is kind of an interesting thing where they were indie, they had their own name, they were in Vancouver, and then all of a sudden Penguin purchased them. And this kind of changed a lot of things because that's a huge publisher. They grandfathered in some of Trafford's authors and now you're owned by Penguin. But because I had been with the previous company, I retained a lot of the rights that I had under them. 
Um, but it was, which is good, but it was a very different experience. You know, now when you're trying to get in touch with them, there's so many people and it takes like kind of twice as long to get certain things done. Um, but then they published the two books of the trilogy. I'll have another one coming out. The last one will come out. Um, but I, you know, I, I got to Los Angeles in 2008, ready to work on, on a particular project, like a TV show. And then this movie, I get off the plane. I could not make this up to you. This is my life. I had set up, I had set up where I was going to live with this very nice girl on fifth street by the beach. She picks me up from the airport. I'm all ready. I'm like, yes, things are finally happening. I'm in Los Angeles. I get off the plane and she goes, so have you seen the news? And I said, not, not really, because I've been traveling all day. What's going on? And she's like, so there's a writer's strike that happened today. Oh, I remember so th that. The writer's strike of 2008, um, the day I landed in Los Angeles to go to work is when it started. And this, what was crazy was anything that had not been greenlit for production by a certain date could no longer continue. That was both of the projects I was scheduled to be on. Um, and I, you know, I, sometimes I tell people to go back and look at the history of Jaws. Jaws is my favorite movie. I have a, a tattoo. Um, <laughs> and if you go back, Spielberg talks about this too, because they had a strike really close to that movies being in production. So you had to really scramble to get things done at a certain time. This was just so nuts. And so I, I did what I could do. I was a lighting double on some things. That's how I made some money there. And I wrote for some clients and then my new book came out. Um, so getting that call from Penguin was kind of exciting because everything else was like, rah, 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 like took mm. everything slowed. And then I was with Penguin. So I had that book and then another book. But the book tours for these things kind of, they were very, very exhausting. Um, I really pushed it to the point. I had someone managing me to an extent, but it was really kind of me. They don't really do that now. Um, mm -hmm. I think that they used to, but now it's just, there's so much product and there's so many people. What also happened circa 2013 was I used to do big events in Barnes and Noble, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, I should tell writers that there is a difference if you haven't done it yet doing like indie stores or um, any other kind of venue is different than Barnes and Noble because Barnes and Noble is like an oiled machine. It's Saturdays, 12 to two. Sometimes they'll match you up with someone they think you'd be a good sell with as another author or, or personality. Other times it's just you. But the problem with it is you have to learn like what you were talking about with streamlining words. You mm -hmm. have to learn how to talk to people that have come to see you in very encapsulated amounts of time, which was hard for me because I was almost, I was a writer that was more like a musician. Like I made my money from touring. I made my fans and my readers from touring. So the idea that people come in and you have Barnes and Noble people standing there ushering people and you get like 30 seconds, that was really tough. And that changed when I when I was with Penguin because then it was a much bigger thing and I was under this bigger umbrella. Um, the indie stores give you so much more time to get to know people. Um, mm -hmm. So Barnes and Noble is a, a whole different animal. Um, I think I've done every book, I've done an event there. But then in 2013, you might remember this, they changed their whole format. Like. It's much harder to get an in, per unless you're a children's book author, 
it is much harder to get an event because the physical structure of the store is different. They mm-hmm. like now the cafe is half of the store. Um, the children's area extended. Now they've got a big media area. So physically the amount of, of space is super limited. Um, I used to do have so much fun at, at the events there, but now it's the other thing. Oh, I should mention for, for anyone listening, the other thing that changed was eBooks. Eebooks changed mm-hmm. everything. Cause yes. when my first two books came out, they didn't exist. Um, and so the idea of you'd go to see an author that you really, really liked and they'd sign your book. Now places like Barnes and Noble were like, well, what are we going to do? Half these people have Nooks and Kindles. Meanwhile, Nook was their product. Mm-hmm. So they tried to promote that. Well, what are we going to have them sign? So I think that that was a bit of a demise too with the events because with so many people on a, on a keyboard reading, um, it wasn't the same. So it, I have had a lot of that about being in the right place at the right time. Some people think that I lucked out so many times over versus I'm kind of like, really? Cause I see it as <laughs> like, it seemed like everything was going to happen and then it didn't. And then it was yeah. another thing of, Oh, it seemed like it was going to happen and it didn't. So you have to be able to say everything works out in its time talent will come through, but a lot of it is, a lot of it is timing. Like I have no idea why, you know, I started working for film festivals, met, met people. Um, and then I did interviews with them and contacted them and said, Hey, I have this, can I ask you a question and navigating the industry with what I'm doing now with the scripts. I didn't even know how to do that four years ago. Um, so it's, it's being in the right place at the right time. And it's focusing too on what do you really want to do? And who do you know that is a resource for that particular thing? And how can you keep getting involved in a community that's going to help you? Um, for me, that was film festivals. Absolutely. For sure. Sorry, I've been talking like no, a long I time. It. I like had so many questions and I'm like, crap, I only have 20 minutes left. But the, um, cause I'm doing back-to-back interviews today. Otherwise we could go over. Look at you. You're pack. like, you're, yeah, I'm like, you're packing them in Friday, man. Friday we're, <laughs> we're recording. Yeah. I am trying to pack them in. It's absolutely. I prefer to talk a lot because this way, it, then I can at least get information out versus sometimes you'll interview people and it's like, you have to draw the, draw it out of them. And that's oh, not yeah. fun for anybody. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just really like the thing that kept coming up as you were sharing that was the patchworkness of it and how you really do have to approach a writing career. And this has come up over and over. And I've definitely seen it in my work is that it's not going to be one monolithic end all be all. This is your, your book deal. There are so many things that you have to have your hands in and stuff to carry you over till the next thing. And to be diverse and versatile and flexible, um, definitely stretched you in all of those like with all of that happening and so many dashed hopes and and the disappointments and I was like I was just aching I was when you were sharing I was like it was it was constant and then you know just to add to that it's a good thing I went through that and you know I think too with women especially there is something about like growing up like even though I'm so the same person as I was in the 80s and with with my personality but like now I'm able to be a little bit more resilient and more like a like if you were to bounce a coin off of something. Because when that happened in Los Angeles, 
I mean, I made the best of it, but I was alone in Los Angeles, which was not like New York, like New York, you never feel alone. Cause first of all, it was closer to where I was from on the East coast. Mm-hmm. But second, you, you can jump on the subway, Los Angeles, you're stranded. Like you're in this inverted suburb and I didn't know anybody. And now all of a sudden work has gone. Like my dreams are gone. What do I do? Well, 2020 has been an interesting inversion of that because now I have all these people interested and like, I'm going to direct a project. We're all set. And now it's COVID and it's like filming in COVID. Like now people ask me, oh, aren't people filming again? Well, kind of, but you know, you have to have money because someone has to be in charge of people getting tested twice a week, sometimes three. Um, And I would rather wait because Mm -hmm. it's my first time being able to green light something that I wrote. Um, And I would rather do it when there's less complications, but I've learned to be more resilient. It's like, okay, is Alicia, is the world going to end if you can't film in January and you have to film in May? Not really. You know, it just, it Mm -hmm. feels like it, but it's not. So I feel writers have to be able to sort of look at things like that and say, okay, that's not going to happen. What can I do in the meantime? Um, Because it is, it's a nerve wracking it's a nerve-wracking career in any way. So you mentioned something that you're doing now with scripts that you didn't mm-hmm. know how to do four years ago. What is that thing? Okay. I did not, I always wanted to be a film writer, but where I got kind of caught up to you is I felt I had, number one, I had imposter syndrome for a very long time in my adult life that I feel I'm just getting rid of now. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I knew how to do a script. I knew that I was film obsessive. I knew I was a great writer. And I knew that my work was more cinematic than just like books. Like I was more of a movie person, but I got caught up because I was in education for so long that I felt, well, I was in a program for books. So I know I can do it. Um, I'm an actor. I was in this great school. I know I can do it. I know I could write for magazines, but because I wasn't in like Tish at NYU, I was in the other program. I didn't, I didn't know if I knew exactly what to do. And I was always afraid. And I always kind of held myself back like, oh, you'll, you'll figure it out or someone will show you later. So what ended up happening was um, I just knew it was the time. How I started really screenwriting was I worked at a film festival doing PR and doing all the red carpet events. So I was interviewing everybody. I took that opportunity for myself to literally befriend every single person I could getting emails, getting a chance to talk to them, going off for coffee while they were in town. Um, and I, and so how this happened for me was all the time I took making contacts in any place I had been, I left Los Angeles and now have more contacts than I did when I was there. Um, and I, I became friends with people who were producers and I started asking them questions about what is the process? Like, what is the process with indie movies versus a huge big budget movie? Because as a writer, you need to know, like, where does the money need to come in in order for this to get moving? Who gets it when? And what I realized, and this is so sad that at 40 years old, this occurred to me. I was meant to be a director the whole time because a lot of writers, you see it in your head, you know how you want it to be. It's like, well, why wouldn't I direct that? But again, imposter syndrome. I don't know how to film. I'm not a cinematographer. I didn't go to school for that. So I started befriending cinematographers (laughs) and I read an interview with Sofia Coppola where she just was like, you don't have to know how to do a director and a writer, like the writer director combo. You don't have to know how to do everything. You hire people that know how to do that. 
So that kind of opened a door for me. I, and then the second step was I looked at my contacts, asked producers questions. The third major thing was I have a friend who is a screenwriter for big projects. And I think I one day just broke down and said to him, you know, I have these ideas, but what do I put it into? I was that ridiculous where I knew I could do it, but I didn't, everything with me is always about technology. Oh, I barely know how to do PowerPoint. How am I going to do this? He told me about fade in mm-hmm. and I bought, I think I got it as a gift. I think my mother bought it for me. I got a fade in subscription to, to screenwrite and immediately within probably 10 minutes, I knew that's what I was meant to do for the rest of my life. Oh. That program mm-hmm. teaches you, if you mess around with it a little bit, it teaches you about, you know, it'll just prompt you. Do you want like to cut there? Oh yeah, I do. Do I want to dissolve? Yeah, I do. Um, and the reason I say this was like a door opening was books are really effing hard there. We mm-hmm. all know it. They're time and really time intensive. And there is absolutely no short-term goal, like gain from it because nobody gets to read it for years. And that was hard for me um, to have no like getting feedback and excitement. So the thing is, when you're writing the script, you're getting so much immediacy to it because it's in script form. Mm -hmm. And I just literally, Tia, I started making calls right when, like probably two months before COVID, I called Telefilm Canada and I said, I want to be the next Nick Pizzolatto and I'm a female. And if there's been any time to be a female screenwriter, it's right now. I said, I have an eight limited edition, limited series that I want to write and I would like to be in. I'll screen test for it. But would you guys be willing to do this? And they're wonderful because in Canada, their government gives a lot of production value to this versus in America, we go to like independent investors. Mm -hmm. These people have been fantastic. So I sent them the pilot and another episode. And of course COVID hit, so I couldn't go up there. I had to like location scout, but we actually have stuff moving. We have things moving. How exciting. Yeah, I'm writing the one pages for that right now, which is your, your viewers might enjoy this. Doing a one page is like, envisioning the promos later so if it's coming out and you're Uh doing lines and all that stuff that's the stuff I love to write but you're doing it to get people involved in your project so I'm like coming up with taglines so that crews and sound people will be like oh my god I want to be involved in that when is it starting who do I call Mm -hmm. so it's um I would tell people to get involved Definitely, if you have film festivals in your area, it is an absolutely invaluable thing to get involved with. Um, And then think, truly think about and take an hour to brainstorm, who do I know? Who have I met in my travels that I can ask questions to? And I started saying to myself, what are you afraid of? Like, what are, what scares you? And the thing was, is I didn't know an ABCD route to do this. Mm-hmm. And that made me very nervous. So once I started asking producers questions, and once you start learning, okay, if you have friends that are actors that have any kind of name, get them involved and say, hey, we're going to do it about this time. Could you, could you commit to it? Once you get names, then you can start getting some money or you bring in pals and Um, it started to feel so much less scary. And then I started booming these things out. So I have the show, the show is done. I have a show, a film that I sent to Netflix um, because I submitted for this contest, again, with contest. And uh, I got feedback on it and people were like, this is great. It's a female-led thriller. 
And then I want to direct, I really want to direct my own writing. And so we're going to, I wrote this other project, but now I have like eight different scripts. I had literally nothing. I had nothing last year at this time. So I want to tell people you, it, you can do it, but unfortunately, and I know this is hard for women because we put ourselves on a timetable. Mm -hmm. You can't predict it. Um, I wish this happened when I was 25, but it wasn't I needed to learn what I needed to learn. And, and now people are like, wow, your scripts are great. And how are you writing them so quickly? Well, I can write them quickly because I'm used to writing books that take three years. Right. So right. your mind, when you get into scripts and you don't have to deal with any of that added prose and you don't have to deal with like figuring out chapters and how they're going to be laid out, you're, you're booming. It's all dialogue. So um, screenwriting, it literally hit me like a lightning bolt. I knew in my heart I was supposed to do it, but my head didn't believe it. It kept saying, you don't know yeah. what you're doing. I'm and so inspired. Uh, <laughs> I'm so like, so across the room, you can't see it. I don't know if you follow my other Instagram account, but I talk about my, I have a script underway and I, and I, that's all fiction. I have a different account for fiction. Oh, and, I have to get on it. Yeah. So over there, I have this, my board, my first board for my first screenplay and I'm actually writing a novella and the screenplay together it's a Christmas nice. theme thing so I was like because I needed that transition like I need a because it's so it's it's about Mrs. Claus I'm not gonna pitch it or anything but nice. um, <laughs> it's it's got all this feminist mojo so um she's long overdue but anyway, I was like trying to find my way through screenplays because I keep buying them and studying them. And it's like yeah. my secret dream. My secret dream is to write movies. And same thing, the disconnect, the mental disconnect of your head, not believing you can do it. So I was like, okay, so break it down, Tia. You can do a chapter of the book and then a scene of the, or the, I do the screenplay first and then I flesh it out in mm. the book. So I'm going to end up with a manuscript and a screenplay at the same time. Um, and if I, like, I'm just assuming I have to indie publish everything. I, I always forget that there's pathways out there. Where, I know. <laughs> like, I'm so used to having to do everything on my own and like teach myself everything. I know. I forget. You said, ask people, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know who I know that I know that knows. Like, <laughs> I, know. I, don't, I don't even. That's why it takes that. time. That's why you have to sit there and kind of almost make a chart and go, okay, this friend of mine, where did they used to work? Would they, even if they can't connect you per se they mm -hmm. can give you information like it's so valuable to understand and I'm always willing if anybody ever wants to contact me to share any of this info it's just so important to understand the production and how scripts are developed and what it means to go into development because mm -hmm. once you when you know what someone's going to need farther down the line it makes it easier to write a screenplay like if you know you're going to have a a smaller budget, then you can already get stuff into your screenplay. Like, okay, um, my friend's house would completely work for that. So why don't I write it right in there? Like when you're writing like an action scene or where people are going, make it easier mm -hmm. on yourself, write it with that place in mind. Um, it helps to think about money and it helps to think about resources when you're writing it. That's what yeah, I, I was know. thinking about that with the, the extended of that impact of COVID screenwriters, like, I think we're going to see like an, like almost an after effect of that mm. with small casts and limited locations and like a that lot of a, animation. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we'll just have AI actors. <laughs> it's so sad, but it could happen. Probably will, you know, just to help, um, 
we still need entertainment. We still like the world still needs content and it's chomping for it. And there's so many um, avenues now. Like I'm very excited that there's streaming services. Oh yeah. There's like places for art that didn't exist before. And there's, you know, fewer, like, I don't want to say fewer gatekeepers because there's probably more for every platform, but they're hungry. It seems like that's the feeling from far away. Oh yeah. They're like, like it's still a fertile time to get in. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's Absolutely. not locked down yet is what it, yeah. Cool. Um, I had another question. We have uh, about seven minutes. Um, so do you still coach and all of that? Mm-hmm. That's cause so for a long time I had you in my head just as PR. I didn't know that you were like actually doing. Oh content. yeah. <laughs> so- no, I do. Um, I, I'm trying to think like, I do a lot of writing. I always call it PR um, because it's like branding people. Mm -hmm. So I do certain clients. And in fact, over 2020, I started getting a different, this was another thing with not being afraid. I usually have clients that are in the music business, fellow authors. I'll do um, their LinkedIn's, which people always seem to need help with. um, Or I'll write blogs on behalf of people. Um, which is time consuming for many. Um, So I do things like that, but I've done, now I have like some clients that were in like banking. And I, when I got this, I'm like, oh no, I don't know anything about this. But then I realized when you're doing someone's like resume, this woman wanted to get this new position. When you're doing a resume and a cover letter, I send clients a questionnaire because you're not you don't need to research the work. If you do your questionnaire right, they tell you what their job is and what they're trying to do or what their wins have been. You're selling the person. So mm-hmm. my day, if I have a day job, it's that I write content for, for clients. I write blogs. I do their cover, like a portfolio cover letter. Um, so I guess that would fall into, into PR. Um, but that's like what my working work is mm-hmm. while I do these other things. And um, sometimes it's it's easy to get clients. I always find like work begets work. Like right when like I want to take a break, then I'll get somebody new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up without much money. So I'm always like the one that's like, I have to work all the time. Like I have to like, right. take everything because I'm always afraid I won't have anything. Yeah, my but, family um, is so mad right now because I technically got laid off no- November 5th. And like on November 6th, I got up and started a podcast and they're like, you work 12, 13 hour days. Why, why aren't you acting like you're unemployed? I'm like, cause I'm not a writer is always work, working. Like it's just our income levels might change, but I mean, I'm sure you're yeah. um, creative enough. Like, just like I call it compulsive creativity. Like there is, there's oh, no yeah. off. There's no off. So we're always yeah. making things. We're always doing, um, how do you primarily hang your shingle out? What's, what's your, um, avenue to get that work? Is it word of mouth or yeah, it's, it's, it's probably not as other people are probably far better again and luckier than me. I, what I find is number one word of mouth Two, I'll like write kind of engaging, funny posts on LinkedIn mm-hmm. where I'm asking for work, but it doesn't look like I'm asking for work. Like I yeah. always do it in kind of a funny way. Um, something on Indeed popped up. I did get someone on Indeed. Um, I, you know, for me, I don't tend to get as many like corporate things as, as you, um, I probably don't have the same kind of like marketing background, but I do work with one communications firm, um, that I get some work through and it's for like a, a sleep doctor. 
which is is really nice. The problem though with with writing and and that's something I coach about a lot is knowing your value financially like as a freelancer because mm-hmm. a lot of places know that they can't do any of this but then they want to give you like pennies to do it and it's like well no and and I teach people how to write statements of work and to present it and say you know if it's going to be hourly here's what it is and then there's some work that cannot be hourly like you just can't do it like that. So I do coaching um and especially for writers because there's this tendency that they just want to like grab work like I won't name the place but I had a recent situation where I was writing a video script um and the problem is is when people come at it and say hey we pay this much they don't realize that doing a video script for a two-hour movie I can do that in 48 hours they asked me to do it for my favorite television show which is a six season show, 92 hours of television, finding timestamps, transcribing dialogue, writing all about these intricate things and like wanted to give this like amount of money. And I, at first I said, yes. And then I wrote to the guy and said, listen, you have to understand that this is like three times that much amount of work. And so when I do the edits for things that you want, like changed or transcribed, you're getting my hourly rate because this is insane. So I think a lot of times I coach mostly on people knowing their financial value. Time is money. And when people, unfortunately, companies like I'll research when they want me to do this stuff. And I'm like, wow, you have 2.5 million viewers on YouTube. You have a lot of advertising money. You need to pay your writers. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to pay people to put in this much time. So a lot of the coaching I do is about making people understand that because writers do have a tendency to be like, oh, it's a job. Well, yeah, but you're spending like 20 hours and they're giving you the extent of like three hours of work. So it's a a good time to be teaching people this so that they get into 2021 with a different mindset. I want to have a whole nother show just on that. It's a huge topic. (laughs) It is. Writers get undercut all the time. They don't want to stand up for themselves. We have 60 seconds left and I'm like, damn it. I want a whole nother show on this. It's, it is, it's a crazy thing, but um, I, and again, no problem if people don't know that. I didn't know it. I learned mm-hmm. it from a female writer myself and I was one of those like, yes, I'll take anything. And then you start to realize, no, uh-uh. yeah. um, but anything else? I, I feel like I talked a lot, but I probably didn't hit anything. Just let's do this again. If I go over <laughs> 20 episodes, I'll hit you up because right now yeah. I'm capping it at 20, but, um, but I've gotten way more topics than 20. So I might have like a second season. Um, they do release every other week. So that takes me into September right now. And, um, I don't love that. Like you were saying with timing. Um, but thank you so much. Yeah, and Thanks for so having good. me. And, um, and we should just do it again. Like, I'm just like getting going. I feel like we just, yeah, it up. yeah, definitely. Let me know. I can always do it. I always work from home. Always willing to do it. Okay. Awesome. Best of luck to you on everything. Oh, and I'll check in you. with you before I do the intro outro to see if we need to update. How yeah. Things are going in I, I think yeah. there might be some changes because coming this spring, uh, maybe the border will open and I can go to work, go to Canada. So good. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks girl. I'll see you on Instagram. You shall. Bye. (laughs) Bye.